we traveled into the future. 930 years. A one-way trip. No going back. Welcome to Discovery. Come in. Discovery, did you copy? You have reached year 3188. Is there life here? Anywhere? Multiple life signs detected. Yes! We are completely disconnected, but we are also together. You know, from around these parts, the Federation mostly collapsed after the burn. What's the burn? The burn was the day the galaxy took a hard left. The Federation isn't just about ships. The Federation is its people. I've always believed that you were out there somewhere and that we were a part of the Federation no matter what. Welcome to the future. Dysfunction aside, you all make a pretty good team. Dysfunction is the team. We've just accepted it. No, we haven't. True believer. Yeah. Time traveler. There was no other way. The thing is, you got no authority here. Let's show them who we are. <laughs> we all want a future that's real, that matters. The Federation gave us the resources and the mandate to solve the biggest, most troublesome problems in the galaxy. And I may question, and I may fear, because the problems often seem insurmountable. But haven't we always risen to meet them? We have work to do. But if things were easy... It wouldn't be worth it. <laughs> huh? This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly... Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies. All for you. Everybody and welcome back to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC, and we are broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com. And boy, oh boy, do we have an excellent episode for you guys tonight. Last week, we talked about The Mandalorian and how that show is back, and it's awesome. Talk about a lot about Star Wars. Now we're we're switching gears a bit. True to our name, Intergalactic Peace Collision, we're switching franchises to the other star franchise that we love so much, Star Trek. As in specifically, Star Trek Discovery. The third season of the show has now officially been out. There's about four episodes that we've seen so far. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun because uh, we have not actually talked about this before on the show. At least I haven't, so uh, I've been enjoying it, and I'm looking forward to getting into it. But before we do that, of course, introductions are in order if you are new to the program. My name is Ben, and joining me 
as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. Zach, what's up with you? Oh, man, a lot, honestly. <laughs> but it, it, it feels like none of that really matters quite as much as what we've got on the docket for tonight. Forget about homework assignments. Forget about family strife for a couple of hours. Just kick back and get ready to go to another one of our favorite galaxies. That's the thing that I love about this podcast is we've got that slogan, all the galaxies, all for you. And we're literally going from the galaxy far, far away to the uh, to the Star Trek canon for a little while and, and talking about Discovery, as you mentioned, and just like where it's going, which is completely new and different and innovative and progressive and just everything that kind of encompasses what Star Trek is supposed to be. And they're doing it in a completely unique fashion with completely unique characters and stories and timelines. And I'm just I'm so enthusiastic about the direction that this show is going, because this season is turning more into a season long story arc, potentially a series long story arc, depending on how they settle into this new direction that they're taking it. Right. And I'm just I'm I'm very encouraged by you know, the stride that this show seems to be hitting. I will be one of the first to admit that I wasn't the biggest fan of season one, or at least most of season one. In fact, I kind of dropped off after the first half of the season because I was like, eh, this really isn't for me. Had a lot of complaints about it, yada, yada. But coming into season two and now seeing some of the stuff that we've got from season three, I feel like this show is really coming into its own and starting to hit its stride, as I said. And that's a pretty rare thing for um, for a, a Star Trek show to do. If you if you think back to uh, to shows like The Next Generation and Voyager, Deep Space Nine, a lot of them didn't really hit their stride until like the tail end of the third season into the fourth season. And for uh, Discovery to be like hitting its mark at the end of season two leading into season three, it's kind of ahead of its time in a lot of ways. And it's, it's exciting to see. Yeah, it is. It is incredibly exciting. I think from my perspective, it's, you know, I, I watched the first two episodes. I've watched the premiere when it first came out because I'm like, okay, new star Trek. I'm gonna get on board with this. I watched the first two episodes and then I was like, okay, that was okay. And I didn't go back. I didn't I feel like go back. A lot of people felt that way honestly. for for a long time. I don't remember disliking it. I was just like, it didn't. It didn't grab me. It didn't pull me in. It didn't make me want to go. Okay, I'm going to come back next week and 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 watch this. I'm going to subscribe to CBS All Access and I'm going to watch this That's every single week. So it it was a little while, and then I started hearing some more good things. I started seeing what was happening. Obviously, you know, if you if you just ignore it, then stuff pops up in your feeds. Obviously, I pay attention to Star Trek news. So, you know, season two comes along, Pike is added, all this kind of stuff. They start doing these connections, Spock is added, and then I'm like, okay, I will go back and binge this. So I got back and uh, binged through season one, and it's really easy to, and I don't remember, like, my overall impressions, because, like, I'm just binging. You don't really have time to, like, process, like, your feelings. I'm not sure about that episode. Like, tonight we're going to watch four episodes that I recently watched. Obviously, we're going to have some feelings and thoughts on them. And I can kind of put a critical eye to them and go, okay, I'm unsure about that one, or I like that one. Spoiler alert, I like pretty much all these episodes. But um, 
like overall binging them kind of like even if they're good or bad you kind of just run through them i ran through season one got to season two and i it it drew me in i i really enjoyed it and so and i think it's interesting that i was among the people when this show was first introduced that like you're doing this new era of star trek you're going further you know star trek is always on the cutting edge it's it's going you know into new uncharted territory you're doing this new series but it's set in the past and i was bewildered by that everyone was like what are you doing before tos like what is this what is what are you trying to do discovery and it was a it was a logical question to ask and i love that finally in season three we are getting this show basically defining itself basically coming up and saying this show is about the future. We're going a thousand years in the future, somewhere where Star Trek has never gone before, um, and getting a whole new view of what this, you know, not Gene Roddenberry's necessarily his utopian future, but a kind of a realistic future and a future that is something that has never been explored before. That's fascinating, and that's what Discovery belongs is in the future, going forward, going telling us stuff about the Star Trek universe that we had no idea about. So I love that at season three they're doing this, that they took the time and they bit the bullet and said, hey, people, if you want to see the future, you've got to wait for it. And so you got to season one, you had all that go on, you had the mirror universe, like it was cool stuff. I, I think I was pulled in mostly. You know what? I remember what got me into first season, what got me to go Jason, back and watch it. It was, it, was, it was Jason Isaacs, wasn't it? No, it was – okay, it was kind of, but you know, I think it was you. It was <laughs> you that mentioned to me on this show and said, hey, they go to the mirror universe. And there's like – or I think someone at some point said there was time travel involved. I'm like, okay, I will get in, into this now. So those yeah. two things kind of pull me back in and go, okay, I need to watch this. So that's what kind of – pulled me back in and then season three is now hitting and it's giving me everything that I want really. Well, that's the, that's the quintessential track is storytelling and, and character development intermingled with a lot of really, really interesting discussions set in the future. Right. You know, like that, that's always been the core of star Trek. And they've they've taken that core and they've kind of built upon it, you know. It's it's not just those types of conversations anymore. It's also parallel universes. It's also time travel. It's also a lot of other things that they're trying to integrate into one show. And it's ambitious to say the least to be able to say that you're taking all of these things and you're only you know thirty thirty three episodes in thirty four episodes in, and you're already encompassing a lot of things that it took several seasons for a for a, a different Star Trek show to try and tackle all of these things. And it's just like episode after episode after episode we're looking at, you know, the the artificial black hole creation. We're looking at temporal mechanics. We're looking at mirror universes. We're we're looking at so many things that for so long people have approached as theoretical. And Star Trek is taking them and making them a reality. And, you know, it's a testament to the writers. It's a testament to the acting. It's a testament to our modern CGI and technology to make all of these things seem realistic. Like, it takes a lot of ambition and imagination to try and project how you think things are going to look 
980 plus years from what's already a future. Right. You know what I mean? Like, supposedly the, the, the current Star Trek timeline, that stuff that's set before TOS, is at least 200 years ahead of our modern times. Right. Somewhere thereabouts, 170 to 200 years ahead of us. And now you're taking that future that's, you know, 200-something years away from 2020, and you're taking them another millennium forward. Like, you're going somewhere in the range of 900 to 1,100 years forward and trying to tell a new story about the future and about life in a time that nobody could potentially predict how it's really going to turn out. Right, and I think I think it's brilliant that they played the long game with the show. That they didn't just it could have been, hey, this is, you know, say for example, you know that the show starts like right before the burn. You know, the the Starfleet is out there; they're they're nine hundred years in the future, and then something happens and they have to deal with it. You know, it could have started in the future, and that way you're you're already there. You're giving people what they want. This show starts in the past, starts before TOS, and establishes, gets you familiar with the universe to say that, mm-hmm. yes, this is the future, this is Star Trek, but it's a Star Trek that you're very familiar with and gets you comfortable in that so that when you go to the future, it feels like you're actually traveling. It feels like you're actually seeing something you've never seen before and because you have. But we're so familiar with Star Trek and the aesthetic and the whole idea of this futuristic society – you know, it's it's something that you take for granted. But I think season, bringing it about in season three, I think, was a brilliant way to actually make it have weight and make it because we've seen time travel stories out the wazoo. Like it, it's it's crazy, but mm-hmm. I think this it it provides more weight to it. Even the, like this most recent episode, we, which we both watched today, um, yeah. it's uh, a forget me not. Um, that episode, like it, it deals with a lot of like the PTSD that they're dealing with, the fact that they've t- traveled through time and they've left everything they've they ever knew, and now the whole crew is like really stressed out about it, and they're like trying to deal with it. And I love that idea, of, like taking this realistic approach. To, like these people have gone through hell, and they've traveled through time, gone through some crazy stuff, and they're not okay with it. They're not okay with it, like because nobody would be actually it's not like marty mcfly jumping in the you know a uh, uh, delorean and traveling through time and oh i'm in the 1950s like no it's this is stressful this is real life these are real people going through this and it's not fun yeah like it was it was a really great analogy when the when the chief medical officer was talking to saru i think his name is hugh i always yeah. get their names up. I get I, I get a lot of the names mixed up. There's a lot of names. You well, that's the thing is this is this is like an even bigger ensemble cast than we're used to for Star Trek. Like right, just when you just when you think somebody is like an obsolete character that could potentially get killed off, all of a sudden Cadet Tilly becomes an ensign and she becomes like the right hand to the chief engineer, and you're like, okay, well, I guess she's important then. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay, that's a thing, but. Uh, Hugh comes into Saru's office and tells him that everybody is like, uh, is like, I, I, I forget what he says. They're he says they're like they're physically something, and physically he and sound. physically sound. And Saru's like, you didn't say they're they're like healthy. 
And he says, uh-huh. "Yeah, I, I know what I said. I, they're yeah. they're physically they're they're healthy, but mentally they're not all there." Right. And then he like flips to their stress charts, and he's like, "If they were mice in a lab, they'd be chewing their own tails off." And I was like, "Holy crap!" Yeah. <laughs> What an analogy, because I feel like animal testing was something that was probably outdated or outlawed for their time even. And so to, like, use that type of analogy as a deep cut and fits really well with with what they're going through. I mean, it's an experiment. It's something that's really never been tried before, nothing that's really been done before uh, to take an entire ship through time the way that they did. You know, it was definitely a, a big a uh, big undertaking and a lot of people had to volunteer for it, which was nice to see that get reinforced. It's like, Hey, we chose to be here. We chose to do this and we're choosing each other now kind of thing. And it was, it was kind of encouraging and uplifting to see, but at the same time, the fight that happened around the dinner table reminds me of how my Thanksgiving's going to go in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm being told... Oh man, that was intense. That was intense oh good and so it really well is it, the, the the acting was superb like you know they were really at each other's throats and and it and it shows like i don't know they are big they are kind of one big dysfunctional family and they needed they needed to sit around a table and yell at each other for a while to get through their problems yeah and then they came away from it even stronger like the tensions that were going on between Stamets and Tilly, he apologized to her and they started collaborating on a new project by the end of the episode. And uh, Detmer realized that she's really not as okay as she thought she was and starts trying to seek out, you know, not just physical help, but emotional help too. She's like, yeah, it, it took a lot for me to say that I'm actually not all that okay. And so there's these new connections being formed these new bonds that are being established, which I really like, it almost reminds me of the the family vibe that you get from Star Trek Voyager. Because Voyager started out as just a, a Starfleet ship that was going after some renegades, and both uh, Voyager got lost in another part of space together and had to try and find their way home. And so as they're traveling through like half of the galaxy they start coming together. They start becoming a, a literal family. As dysfunctional as they are, they start becoming a family. And, you know, it, it's that shared trauma that you're experiencing that ends up helping you draw closer to each other. And rather than being projected to the other side of the galaxy, this crew is being projected almost a thousand years into the future. It's a shared trauma. They're all going through it. But what's unique about it and what's clever in the storytelling is that everybody is processing it differently. Right. And that's what was so unique about that dinner table scene is everybody is processing this space PTSD, this time travel PTSD in a different way. And none of the coping mechanisms are healthy. None of the ways that they're trying to process it are like completely intact. Nobody's got the right answer, not even the captain. And some people may criticize that and be like, oh, Picard would never have his ship in this type of disarray. But I kind of like the disarray because it feels more natural. It feels more organic. It feels more real in some way. Yeah, I, I especially love Saru in this last episode because he, he you definitely 
you know, after he was, you know, uh, Michael, you know, supported him in in going to captain, and like that was cool. And you're like, okay, this like this is the obvious choice. Like he obviously, like from the first episode, like you see that he he's definitely the best person to be captain. But at the same time, he's in this episode, he's less confident. He's he's trying to figure this out. You know, he 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 kind of is depressed after everybody kind of walks away, and you can't really blame him. And you don't really see that where he went wrong. But at the same time, you know, you, you understand that he's going through some stuff, and even he doesn't have all the answers. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I like how it affects different characters. I love like I love Stamets, who like becomes he's he's a jerk in this episode for most of it. And like I forgot, he used to be an asshole. <laughs> like I forgot he used like he started out as a total asshole, and like he had a character arc, and like he's a nice guy now. But then he reverted back to that, you know, coming into the situation of just snapping at people, and he's going after Tilly after this, and you know he has the argument at the table, and and obviously he was kind of egged on. But uh, you know, it's 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 interesting how these characters kind of their character flaws were kind of hidden are kind of coming out now that they're in this really hostile situation. Um, and yeah. I love, I love Saru's kind of, and the computer's kind of psychoanalysis of it that like, if discovery disappeared, like no one would miss them. Like they would, they they're missing from their original timeline and no one's allowed to talk about them in the original time. And then no one knows them in the new time. So like they have no place in the universe. They have no connections and they're just isolated and they have no one to actually understand what they're going through. How relatable is that when we're in the middle of a freaking pandemic? <laughs> You're Everybody right. Nobody feels like they belong. Nobody really feels like they have a place in the world anymore. And when depression kicks in and you feel isolated at home, all of a sudden you feel like the world wouldn't miss me. I feel spoken to after this episode. You know? You. And, and that's what Star Trek is supposed to do. It's supposed to take your real-world scenarios, put them in a science fiction world, and give you a sense of a combination of escapism and a readiness to face reality all at once. This show was brilliant at doing that. I don't think it was meant to be that way, because it was obviously recorded before the pandemic struck, but the timeliness of it is so perfect. It was such an encouragement to realize, yes, you can have your struggles, you can have your depressions and anxieties, you can have your PTSD, you can have all of these problems, and it's okay, because you're still going to push forward, you're still going to problem solve, and you're still going to have those people that are there for you, even after you fight. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, like, this episode in particular, like, is the perfect example of, like, Oh yeah, you've been stuck in the ship. You can't go outside. You're stuck in it with your family. They're driving you nuts. Everybody's on edge. You're quarantined, You're quarantined in time space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and like it, it's totally. I didn't even think about the fact that this is like a a metaphor on all the quarantine stuff. And like you said, like it's probably. I'm I'm assuming most of it was filmed and and especially written before all this stuff happened. But uh, you know, again, Star Trek being very relatable, very psychoanalyzing the human experience and as we as humans experience something that at least our generation and really any any generation has has experienced before like what we're going through right now is something truly unprecedented you know like and there's stuff there's unprecedented stuff happening 
all the time. <laughs> you know, we've got an oh, unprecedented yeah. election, an unprecedented pandemic, like, you know, all kinds of different stuff. And then, you know, you see what's going on in Star Trek. And they are really a fish out of water. They are in a situation where they don't know which way is up. They, you know, they end up in the thing. They go back to Earth, and Earth is nothing like it was. Starfleet is gone. And uh, it's crazy. I loved how much of a culture shock it was to go to Earth and it not be what you hoped it would be. But at the same time, it felt completely within character of how Earth would react to a situation like the burn. Humans gonna like, human. Humans gonna human, no matter what century you're in. It's like, oh, like we're we're not in communication with other species. That's fine. We're gonna turn into a super xenophobic race and just shoot at anything that comes within our perimeter. Well, like. Yes, it's almost like Earth got taken over by the state of Arkansas. It was amazing. I loved it. And 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 to to see how far technology had tried to progress and you know what I mean to see how far they were able to go by creating like ray shields around the entire planet. It, it right. almost reminded me of atmospheric controls, which we've got in Picard's time that can monitor the weather and like disperse hurricanes before they evolve. Like these atmospheric satellites just continue to grow and change and evolve. But then to have a United Earth defense force that is basically like space force, <laughs> if I dare say. Like, we, <laughs> you're right. You're if, right. If you <laughs> did, did you think that may have been like the commentary there? Like, I definitely got some space. I I have a feeling that they were writing this season right when that was coming around, right when I, that got announced. I bet you five bucks. That's what it is. I mean, Netflix oh. created a whole ass TV show called Space Force. You, it would not. Yeah. It would not surprise me if Star Trek looked at that and was like, okay, I'll see you one Space Force and I'll raise you the United Earth Defense Force. And this is this is what we got was like super xenophobic and, and anti-trusting of anybody that comes within your sector. Isolationism? Uh-huh. And, and then like this almost super nationalism for your world to a certain extent, like – Earth is self-sustaining. We can take care of ourselves. Why would we be a part of the Federation when we can just take care of everything that we need? Like, you guys can just go away. We don't even want you here. Like, I'm curious how they're going to play it out because you see that last shot in that episode of San Francisco. It looks all great. Like, it looks, like, really, like, it, it looks great. But I have a feeling there's going to be some kind of... There's another layer to that, maybe. That way we were going to find out things aren't as cheery on Earth as they appear. Because I feel like that's not a good lesson if, like, everything's great on Earth because they put a wall around the planet and shut everyone out. Because they built a wall. Oh, my God. They freaking built a wall around the planet. and Space. It's it's a space wall, and that is their nine hundred years later. That's their space force. Oh my god! I'm just now putting all these pieces together in my mind. The message of that cannot be, oh, this is a great idea. <laughs> this is this is what you absolutely should do. No, please, God, no. The three other 
futuristic show that goes, you know, 800, 900, 1,000 years into Earth's future, look at the shows like Firefly and Terra Nova. The entire Earth's resources get used up and you have to leave. How? Yeah. How is Terra still standing a century into Star Trek's future? And and like even more so, how is the moon not colonized? Because in in Star Trek time they've got the moon colonized. They've even right. got Mars colonized. You know, a big story arc in season four of Star Trek Enterprise was about the Mars colony wanting to become independent. There's a big story arc in Picard about, like, a big incident that happens on Mars that, that sparks the whole anti-android revolution. Uh, I'm pretty sure the raiders that are in that third episode, People of Earth, were from Jupiter? I think they were Probably? from. I think they were from, yeah. like a station, a station surrounding that a station that orbits Titan. I want to say Titan is one of Jupiter's moons, and so like it's not just Earth, but it's the whole Sol system that I'm curious about. How are their resources still sustainable? How is Earth that defensible, but something like Titan is falling into disarray? Like. It feels very jumbled, and I'm with you that I feel like there's more to that story than meets the eye, but I also feel like considering what Discovery's trying to do in the context of, like, discovering Starfleet and trying to, like, rebuild the Federation and stuff, Earth is more or less kind of an afterthought at this point. Well, and I think also maybe the point is that in the old time and you know TOS time like Earth seems to be kind of the center of everything you know it's where Starfleet headquarters is like it's where space travel and there's there's shipyards and, like there's all kinds of stuff happening now it seems like it's kind of like they're not even doing anything on like in the Milky Way galaxy like there's nothing happening it's just Earth and they've just shut themselves away from the rest of the universe and they're not traveling they're not using you know they, they don't have warp so they can't like travel the galaxy. So I think maybe the the idea is maybe that maybe even though it looks futuristic, it's still regressed. It's still this is Earth is just Earth. It's just basically like it was in the maybe the twenty first century. You know, there's no space travel, there's no nothing. It's just has enough technology to protect itself from the rest of the galaxy and it's not this beacon of, you know, Starfleet and, you know, everything that it was in previous years. Oh, it's definitely no beacon of hope. It's definitely no uh, shining, guiding light, no symbol of integrity or anything like that, that's for sure. And I think that's definitely a very realistic look at how Earth is, um, both today and how it would be in a millennium from now. Right. Even, like, like, that's another commentary, I feel like, is, you know, history repeats itself. And it is repeating itself in this context. It's like it's building that defense force and then staying home and not venturing out, not and trying I to think, do anything special, just do enough to keep yourself safe. And I think there is something to be said about like what Star Trek has done in the past, which is, you know, it kind of props up humanity and mm -hmm. 
and showing the best of humanity. That's that's I think that's what Gene Roddenberry was trying to get at. Like you know, I think I think Jonathan Frakes I think said at one point like you know Gene Roddenberry's like ideal future was there's no sexism or racism. Like it's perfect. Like there is this ideal utopian future that Star Trek is heading towards. It's it's not about necessarily being realistic. It was about portraying the best of humanity. And I think with that, you kind of put humanity up on a pedestal and say, oh, they're perfect, where we know for a fact humans are not perfect. They're not perfect beings. And I think kind of showing flaws in humanity, I think, is important. And also, you know, through that, like, they go out and show kind of the different flaws of humanity in other races. Like, you know, whatever you're talking about, Klingons, um, those races are kind of like, more flawed and they have their their ways or whatever i think maybe now it's kind of the turn the tables of like maybe the rest of the galaxy is getting on a lot better and humans are kind of the ones that are uh not where they should be and again it's it's fascinating to think about that it's it's so interesting to know that the writing staff is looking at this type of thing in such great detail like right. if we're if if we're thinking about these things on a podcast, how much more so is the writing staff thinking about these things when they're coming up with these episodes? They're literally right. writing this show, literally making this show. Uh, yeah, they're literally like taking the pen to paper or you know typing it out on their tablets or whatever it is they do nowadays. But they're they're taking all of those aspects, all of those facets, and putting them into one show. And so even though there may be, like, more spectacle and even though the sound effects may sound a little different, even though there may be a bit more lens flare than we're comfortable with, or (laughs) even though the the technology might feel a little out of place every now and then, at its essence, at its core, this is still 100% Star Trek. Yeah. This This is still very, very much in the vein of of what Star Trek is supposed to be. And I think it was exemplified in that third episode. I know we're supposed to be talking about the fourth, but we're kind of talking about the whole third season more or less. Pretty much. But I I, I think it's it's it was exemplified in that third episode when they take the helmet off of that raider, you find out he's human, and then they basically sit Earth and the raiders down and have like a negotiation about a ceasefire. Right. Like these people these people have been at each other's throats for years, maybe longer. And Discovery shows up on the scene, and all of a sudden the Federation serves as peacekeepers and negotiators once again, and basically create an armistice, more or less. And I thought that was so cool that they were able to find the the similarities and look at them as opposed to the differences and and find a way to bring about peace. That is what the Federation's about. That is what Star Trek is supposed to be about. It's about seeing past the differences and and focusing on the similarities. And they did that in this show, and it was so good to watch. Yeah, and I also love just the idea of, like, we're in this universe, we're in this new timeline where... What is it, uh, dilithium that they don't have anymore? That that's all that all blew up, and they don't have warp anymore. And you have this ship, this one of a kind ship that shows up that has this spore drive that can 
you know, it's it's literally a, basically a portal it's maker. All of, all of all of a sudden, something that was considered like a big flaw in season one is now a crucial component of season three. Right, but they're also they're bringing this ship, which could be the key to everything. You literally, like they're in this fourth episode, they're talking about, oh, we're gonna do dark matter. They're obviously working up to. They don't need stamets to be in the thing anymore. They're gonna work it up to where this is the thing. Maybe even could be replicated. This could be the new warp thing for this universe that could change literally everything about this future and make things better. Also, they're bringing in just their state of mind and their perspective on things. In this galaxy that is so downtrodden and so cynical about things, you have Earth, who used to be this beacon of things, now just shut itself off and doesn't want to, you know, do anything with anybody. They literally sit them down and go, okay, you got to talk this out. Like, you're going to figure this out, and they create, they fix a problem, you know, between these people. That's right. the interesting thing about Discovery, is that it's going to come in and change everything, and that's you know, Star Trek in and of itself is kind of this beacon of, of hope, I guess you could say. This beacon of, like, this is what humanity could be. Now you have this inverse thing where the universe has gone to hell. Like, the the, mm-hmm. the galaxy and Earth, all this kind of stuff, has just gone to pot. But this ship shows up, and they are the beacon of hope. They are the beacon of, we're going to bring things back, and we're going to bring Starfleet back, we're going to bring Warp back, and we're going to bring, you know, a sense of, you know just goodness back to the galaxy where, you know, there's so much despair. So I that's what got me so intrigued about this new season and about what the future of the show might be, is that, you know, what's what's gonna happen, how are they gonna affect things and, you know, going in future seasons, whoever however long it goes, like establishing this new status quo for Star Trek. I think I'm most curious about the burn. Right. We still don't we still don't know a whole lot about what caused this simultaneous spontaneous combustion of dilithium chambers across the galaxy. Like I I can't help but feel like the phrase the burn has something to do with Michael Burnham's name. Oh, and, I didn't even make that connection. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like her wormhole, her time jump, her presence in this new place in time plays a factor into it somehow. But I just I don't have the wherewithal to actually come up with a plausible theory right now. But I I mean, you you do have the fact that they have a time travel suit, or at least she did. And her mother is still out there somewhere. Mm hmm. Yep. So. It, it could be any one of the Burnhams, honestly. But point being, I feel like there's still a lot more to that story than meets the eye. Because when Stamets heard about it, he was like, that's not possible. That doesn't happen to dilithium. And they're like, well, bitch, it just did. <laughs> so, like, there's there's still a lot of questions left unanswered about the burn and how it works. And I'm really curious to find out if there's anything that the discovery crew can do to reverse its effects, because apparently dilithium is, is stable enough for small jumps. Now you get those little, little bits of dilithium to be able to go and do your job. And then you come back and you expire your amount, your allotted amount of dilithium with that jump, with that run that you're doing as a courier. It's at a premium right now. And the dilithium that Discovery has in their chamber makes them a prime target right now 
Right. If anybody senses that much dilithium in one place, all of a sudden they're going to become like a hotbed of marauders and raiders and people that are trying to take it from them. So I'm curious about, you know, uncovering more about the burn and if their dilithium hold is going to make a difference in how they make their decisions and stuff moving forward. There's still so much of this season left to to unfold and i gotta make a reference i gotta make a a point to uh to look at episode seven there's 13 episodes scheduled for this season going through early january of next year Mm. um we're through four episodes now episode seven which is supposed to come out on thanksgiving november 26th well okay so that's like thanksgiving weekend I guess. Uh, yeah, Thanksgiving Day. Okay. Wow. This one's due on think this one's due on Thanksgiving. It's called Unification Three. And wow. the significance of this is there was a two part unification storyline in the next generation centered around Ambassador Spock. Oh, Obviously, being this far into the future, Michael's brother is long gone. But according to some fan theories that I've been reading about online and stuff, it is the Spock of this universe that ends up creating the Kelvin universe. Right, right. So not only are we going to have, you know, the stuff that transpires in the the Kelvin films but we're also going to have the some some look at the Spock that we had in season 2 potentially and Michael is going to delve into the history to figure out what may or may not have happened to her long lost brother Unification 3 seems to imply that there is more to Spock's unification attempts than what was made in the next generation. But from what I remember of those episodes, um, he was actually living on Romulus trying to reunite the Romulan and Vulcan peoples into one group again. Okay. So we could end up seeing Romulans in that episode. In all likelihood we're going to be getting a little bit of Michael delving into the history of what happened to her brother. We're going to potentially get some flashbacks that have Ethan Peck in them. Maybe even Nimoy or someone else that, you know, had an influence in Spock's character. We might get some callbacks to Romulus to Vulcan. Uh, I I feel like there's, there's definitely something to be said about the, the phrasing in that episode title being unification three, it has to be some kind of extension of the unification attempts that Spock made in the next generation. So if if there's ever been an episode that I really, really wanted to like keep an eye out for, it would definitely be that Thanksgiving episode. And you've got to imagine that, you know, even though she's not Vulcan, Burnham is still gonna to wanna to get in touch with, you know, that side of herself. You know, they've they've checked right. in on Earth and <clears throat> it's you know, that's the fascinating thing about B 
being so many years in the future and being in this time of the Star Trek timeline where it's never been explored before is you go to all these different planets and you know some of them you know you've seen before whether it's Vulcan or whatever and you're catching them up on a play in a place where you don't know what's happened there's history that's happened that we don't know and these characters don't know and you can imagine that you know that's I guess the closest thing she has to home planet is is Vulcan what has happened to Vulcan what what state is it in and and what and we can assume that all the the history and and the life of people like Spock has she he, Spock has lived and died since she left and done all the things that he did in the movies and the TV series or whatever like all the stuff like and I would assume at some point she's going to discover that and maybe that's where she picks it up maybe you know picking up where he left off in regards to like unifying things and that would be a very interesting storyline is kind of like using her knowledge of of you know Vulcan culture being not a Vulcan herself but someone who was raised as a Vulcan to kind of pick up where he left off that would be fascinating well and the other interesting thing is uh Jonathan Frakes is set to direct at least two more episodes in this season. Wow. And one of them's going to be the the penultimate that happens on uh, New Year's Eve. It's kind of funny how um, there's a lot of really important days happening on a Thursday this year because obviously Thanksgiving is on a Thursday and that's when Unification 3 is happening there's going to be an episode that drops on Christmas Eve titled The Citadel. Wow. And there's going to be an episode that drops on New Year's Eve a week later that's going to be directed by Frakes, and it's called The Good of the People. So uh, if there was ever a time to, like, watch stuff together as a family, you've definitely got plenty of opportunities to put something on that may uh, distract the awkward conversations (laughs) That are set to ensue over the holidays. Did y'all? What did you think about the election? Hey, let's watch some Star Trek. Let's not talk about uh-huh. any of that. Yada 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 Nevada. Hey, look at this episode of Star Trek. <laughs> there oh, you go, people. You're, we, we've got your. Uh, we'll, we'll come up with uh, uh, your uh, holiday survival guide 2020. Um, things mm-hmm. you can put on TV to distract your family from arguing about something else. Oh, dude, I would so put on Avatar The Last Airbender if I was hosting stuff. I am in love with that franchise. Like, I know we're talking about Star Trek tonight, but one of these days, we need to do more than just a watch-along of Avatar. We need to do, like, a full, in-depth discussion of The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra, because I am just, I am such a fan of those two shows right now. I like, fully agree. The, the rewatches have been so much fun. Yeah, that sounds um, amazing. Uh, yeah, on the on the list, we're making a list and gonna have to check it twice to figure <laughs> out what else we're gonna be talking about one of these days. But uh, all in all, in good time. It, it's twenty twenty, so we can't we can't make any definite plans about anything. <laughs> yeah, not making any plans and not making any promises. One of these days, we'll get around to it. Maybe in the next three hundred episodes. Who knows? <laughs> sounds sounds about right. Um, maybe this is a good place to take a short break and then we come back and look a little bit deeper into this fourth episode specifically, Forget Me Not. Uh, there's a few things in there that uh, I really enjoyed, some things in there that you said you really enjoyed. So 
let's unpack all of that a little bit further uh, on the flip side of our visit to our friends and patrons and partners and all that good stuff. We're going to continue this discussion of Star Trek Discovery when we come back from the break. Don't go anywhere. This is IPC. IPC listeners, this is Joey Mays, intergalactic patron and promoter of my family business, Mays Sandwich Shop. We are proud to be supporting IPC and the endeavors of young, talented individuals like Zach, Ben, and Jake. Should you ever find yourself in the area of Reading, Pennsylvania, be sure to stop by Mays Sandwich Shop. Started by my grandfather in 1947, currently owned by my father and operated by my sister and me, May's Sandwich Shop has been serving delicious food to the greater Westlawn area for over 70 years. If you ever do visit, be sure to tell them IPC sent you. continuing our discussion of star trek discovery here on channel 1138.com we are also published on podbean that's ipcpodcast.podbean.com we're also on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and recent episodes can also be found over at starwarsunderworld.com you can find us on social media at ipc podcast on facebook twitter and instagram and if you're interested in financially contributing to the program, you can find that out at patreon.podbean.com slash IPC podcast. A big shout out to the likes of Joey Mays, Ryan H1152, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, Carrie Fleming. All of you guys contribute in some fashion towards this show. And then there are people who don't contribute financially, like Kenny and, and Steven and, you know, some other members of the of the Peacekeeper Corps that uh, we just put in there because we like having all of the discussions that we do in that group. Granted, it's been a little slow lately. There hasn't been as much to talk about because of the pandemic. But uh, IPC is alive because of awesome people like you guys. And so we're especially thankful to Carrie and Dan and Rachel and Ryan and Joey for helping us keep the lights on. But, I mean... Dude, this show would not be what it is without the people that tune in on a regular basis. I just got word that my brother is tuning into this week's episode. He doesn't even watch Star Trek Discovery, but he listens to IPC. So, <laughs> you know, that that's the cool thing about this podcast is so many awesome people help make it what it is. And I wouldn't want to do it without them. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You guys are amazing just for listening but also 
when you contribute, when you when you you put your cash forward or whatever, it doesn't matter. We love you so much for uh, supporting us, helping us become what we are. You know, honestly, if we didn't have people like Stephen and Kenny and Joey and and my brother who who listens in all the time, it, this wouldn't be worth it. You know, we're over three hundred episodes now. I would like to find. Uh, another podcast that is like as regular and consistent and entertaining as we have been for the past 300 episodes you know and if if there was a time where like some sort of weird circumstance like occurred and then we had to be like you know what we had a good run but i don't ever want to like think about that or see us thinking about that because there's still so much left to discuss and there's still so much support out there from the from the loyal listeners that I I don't want to slow down what we're doing, you no, know? No. No. Keep going is is until we die. That's that's the philosophy. Oh goodness. I don't <laughs> mm. Welcome to episode 2032 of the IPC podcast. We're live streaming now because the internet is a thing of the past. If you want to tune in to our virtual podcasting station, just hit the uplink on your right freckle. Of your right... <laughs> the future. The future is now. <laughs> okay, let's let's get into episode four specifically forget yeah, me not yeah. because that that's the most recent episode as far as when this uh podcast has been recorded and uh it's probably one of the most poignant for several different reasons one of them in the context of star trek because you're visiting the trill homeworld, which the trill are a species that have been in and out of star trek canon and star trek lore for a long time yeah, but yeah. also from a representation standpoint because of the two main characters that you see in this episode making a lot of advancements for the LGBT company as well. So just really, really big stuff all across the board uh, happening in this episode. Yeah, I I liked it a lot. I loved, you know, just getting into this thing. I This is my probably my first introduction to the Trill. I, I didn't... I could tell from their introduction that they were established that the mm-hmm. the show was kind of assuming that you knew a little bit about the trill even though I didn't um but right. I think it is interesting and getting the whole symbiote thing is is a very intriguing concept of thing you know and and the whole the fact that they're they they themselves have kind of changed and they're they're kind of paranoid and goes back into the whole idea of like this is a peaceful seemingly peaceful nation planet whatever but they are desperate now, and they're very paranoid, and they're doing things that they wouldn't normally do because, you know, the galaxy is up a creek without a paddle, like, literally. So it's pretty well, bad. Yeah, and I, I I, find it interesting that this is, this is like, the direction that they want to go because I, I know uh, – I'm still really conflicted on this because uh-huh. I, I know that you need to do – some character development you need to do some establishment of these new people so that you know you you have a better understanding of of who they are and what they stand for and that kind of thing um but 
it leads to some pretty glaring pacing issues as well. Oh, yeah. As 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 action packed and and as character driven and, and action driven as Discovery has been, even in this first season, like look at maybe even uh what was it, episode two, Far From Home. You know, there's a lot of repair that's going on there's a lot of damage there's a lot of threatening to the dilithium that they have on their ship you know there's a lot of tense moments and like the closest thing to tension that we get in this episode is when the trill threatened to kill adira for the sake of the symbiont but like almost as soon as somebody poses that idea the the leader of the group is like we've never done that before and we're not starting now like oh well okay that tension just flew out the window <laughs> like yeah there there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot to be tense about which can be okay but i don't feel like the timing of this episode was as good of a change of pace as it could have been because like we got ramped up future ramped up threats to the ship we got ramped up uh, Earth situation and Earth is completely different now and then we slow way down with Forget Me Not and I don't know, I'm, I'm torn on it because I, I'm what I'm really concerned about is people saying that I could end up being like anti-LGBTQ plus ally or anything like that because this episode centers around a non-binary character and a transgender character. And, you know, to me, that has nothing to do with the pacing of an episode. No. You know what I mean? No. Like, it, it, it doesn't matter to me whether you're non-binary or transgender. What matters to me is the content of the episode. And the, the content here just slowed things down a bit. And I think it was meant to be a breath of fresh air and and I get that and I, I think it was also meant to be like some moments of like really diving into um, Adira's character and Gray's character specifically giving you a little bit of a flashback into the past um, but it I, I don't know. I, I feel like while they did do a good job of giving Blue Del Barrio and Ian Alexander uh, 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 the spotlight in this episode, I also have to sometimes think at what cost. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... They definitely... Am, am, I, being, am I being unfair by saying that? Like, is it is it making me sound like I'm not an ally of, of a certain people group by saying that about this episode? Like, no, I, really I don't... don't to cross that way if if you look look here's the thing if you were coming at this going these darn sjw's putting their stuff in my structure then you would have a problem all right then you have a problem i guess you're 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 i think the fact that you're bringing this up and you're you're paranoid about like offending someone like that shows that you care and i i think people especially me understand that um and knowing you i know i know we, we know where we all stand on that like that's that's not an issue um but like it's it is I think there's there's you know it comes down to personal preferences in regards to like pacing and stuff like that. I didn't personally have too big of a problem. Yeah, it's a it's a slow down episode. There's no huge act sequences or whatever. It's more about this introspective thing. I appreciate it for that. It is a slower episode. It's not. It's kind of this 
slow pace. If if you're not engaged with that, then you know it's it's not going to be your cup of tea kind of episode. Um, and this is not going to be my favorite episode of the entire series. My and the whole her with I say her. It's funny. Okay, she's supposed to be nine non-binary, right? Right. But they kept calling her her, which they, confused they me. I, I read an article about that, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna expand upon the, this information for just a brief moment, if I may. Cool. Um, from from what I understand, um, Blue Del Barrio personally, as an actor, is using a combination of the she, her, and they, them pronouns, as is Ian Alexander with he, him pronouns and they, them. So I think what they're doing is they're like easing their way into it to establish the characters so that when the time comes to intermingle the pronouns, it becomes less complicated. Okay. Because this is this is our first episode with Gray, and this is our second episode with Adira, and like first impressions are everything, and they're using the she/her pronouns because Adira kind of looks a little on the feminine side at times, right? And and they're using the the he/him pronouns for for Gray to I don't know if it's like to give you the uh, illusion of a heterosexual couple or, or something like that like she loves him he loves her but there's a lot more ambiguity to that um, but from from the interview that I read with Ian Alexander um, they said it's really okay to, to call me he it's really okay to call me by they because I'm still figuring things out for myself and Personally, Ian said they don't feel like they belong to any particular gender right now. Like, there, there's some fluidity in there. And if there's some personal fluidity, then there's going to become some character fluidity potentially down the line as well. So, yes, there, there are some binary pronouns being used right now. But from my understanding, the deeper into the season we go, the deeper into the non-binary perspective we're going to become, and we'll probably end up hearing more they/them pronouns the deeper into the season we go. Because when I saw Adira, I'm like, oh, okay, this must be the non-binary character that I heard about. I wonder how they're going to handle this. And then they started calling it her. I'm like, okay, you know, I I wasn't expecting that. You know, I I, I was expecting something else. I was I was expecting a moment in the episode where you're like. Oh, please call me they or whatever, like you know, trying to fix it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that never mm-hmm. happened. But what's funny is, like, if you it, say, for example, like she, Adira said, "Hey, I would prefer to be called they or whatever," she's living with multiple personalities, multiple people's memories in her mind. <laughs> so technically, right. she is a they. She is representing yeah. several like generations of people, which is kind of crazy. And honestly, I feel like that was one of the first steps that was being taken back in the 90s, because in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, there is a primary character, like one of the stars of the ensemble cast, who is a trill. Oh, 
Okay. So when when you're watching Deep Space Nine, there is there is a Trill character, and what's really convoluted is it's a very beautiful woman that plays this Trill character, but the captain of the ship, the captain of the space station, always refers to her in the in the by the nickname old man because wow because cisco the captain knew the dax character when dax was curzon dax a grumpy old codger from dax's past life oh wow so the dax symbiont had a male host that the captain knew beforehand and then when that host died, the Dax symbiont was passed into a woman. And that's the character that we see on Deep Space Nine. So she has all of the previous host's memories and is able to recall upon them to share stories and experiences from her past lives, including the one that she had with Benjamin. But uh, like her, her nickname throughout the entirety of the series is old man he, he he calls her old man all the time wow and so so there is that that fluidity there where it's like is this a he is this a she i don't really know and honestly i was waiting for something like this to happen because if there was ever a time to address non-binaryism and transgenderism it would be in a character like the trill where gender is very fluid and so i feel like star trek is taking the right steps to introduce this type of representation and not necessarily trying to force it but rather integrate it in a way that feels natural and for that they have a lot of my respect yeah yeah i think this could be a very interesting way of of doing it and you know again good social commentary, good introducing something that maybe even people in the real world aren't familiar with or, or don't understand or whatever, kind of putting it in the context of sci-fi. You know, mm-hmm. these things teach us. You know, sci-fi has taught me a lot of things about morality, about so many things. Star Trek, Star Wars, no matter what you're talking about, it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's 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 about putting things in the context that you can kind of understand it and putting, okay, you know, yeah, you know, we're all kind of the same, you know, hating people or disliking someone or whatever because they, you know, they look different or they act different or they love someone different is, is no reason for that. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I like, I like, I think Star Trek is at its best and sci-fi in general is at its best when it does that. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. You you mentioned in our interpersonal chat before the episode started that you had a lot of specific thoughts on this episode. Would you care to share some of those? Because I'm, I'm really curious like what your impressions of this episode as a whole were and what some of your biggest takeaways were. Well, I don't know if about a lot, but I do have I do have a couple. Like I mentioned one of them already and it's in regards to kind of the the whole thing with Saru and the and the doctor and they're kind of talking through you know what's going on with the the, the passengers and, and the crew and what they're dealing with and my whole thing is with especially sci-fi stuff when you're talking about superheroes or whatever Star Wars whatever you'll have these things that are meant to be 
for the characters, and obviously for us as an audience is extraordinary, but it's not stressful st- extraordinary, but it's, you know, someone gets superpowers. They get the ability to climb walls and shoot webs. Like, that's crazy. But you sometimes I don't feel like the characters, like, properly portray, like, how crazy it is to be experiencing what they're experiencing, whether it's, you know, going into space or time travel or whatever. I think sometimes, you know, it's it's kind of lost in the story of they're trying to move the story forward. The characters can't stop and go, whoa, okay, this is heavy, man. Like, it's not a thing that they can actually focus on. It's just about, like, the character just kind of experiencing this in all in a very fast fashion and just going through it, and they don't get a chance to, like, think about it. Think about, okay, this is crazy. I just hopped into DeLorean, and I traveled into the 1950s, or I traveled into the future. This is insane. Like, it's it's all about, like, just the fact of the writing and, and how the people play it, whatever. I like this episode because it stops. And, you know, regardless of how you feel of, you know, how fast-paced or slow-paced this episode was, I like that it stopped for a second and it goes, okay, what are these people actually feeling? They've been through a lot. They went through time. They're 900 years in the future. They're they're isolated. Yeah. How would someone in the real world, how would a real person put in the situation feel in that point? They would be stressed the hell out. They would be, yeah. you know, just on edge and the fact that all these people are in this one ship and they're all feeling this and they're not talking about it they're kind of trying to act like it's normal and it's not and I love the message at the end of the episode where he's like we had to all admit that we weren't okay we had to all admit that this you know this this is not alright we're, we're, we're working our way through this but we're gonna get through it we had to be honest about the fact that this is completely new territory and so I, I love the dinner scene. I love them kind of coming back in. And Stamus comes back in and apologizes. And there's whole this whole thing. And at the end, they're watching yeah. Buster Keaton clips. And it's like this whole thing of like this arc of like all these people kind of getting their heads in the right place and going like, this is this is crazy, guys. Like, ign- let's acknowledge the fact that we went through hell. We went through time. And we're now we're here. We got to deal with this. But we got to move forward. And so... I like that they took an episode to acknowledge it. Maybe they didn't need a whole episode, but I like that they at least acknowledged the the psychological effects it would have on someone. Yeah, because you you can't you honestly a situation like this you can't just experience a nine hundred plus year jump through time and then act like nothing happened. Right. You know? Right. Like you are you are in a different culture. You are in a different galaxy. You are in a completely different circumstance than where you were, and even some of the the doctor's musings, like the things that help define us, like birthdays and anniversaries, uh, you know, we're celebrating things that are part of the past now. We're 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 commemorating things of, of people that have been gone for centuries, and you know, is it really even worth doing anymore? And if it isn't, then. How do we measure our accomplishments? How do we measure our, our movement of time and our achievements if we're not using traditional methods anymore? I, I think what's funny is you you really gravitated to the examination of the human element, and I found myself gravitating to some of the Star Trek lore that goes on right. because – uh, in this episode, this is something that a lot of the message boards have been really, really pulling at is up until this point, 
there had never been a successful bond between a Trill symbiont and a non-Trill host. And Adira is breaking that trend with emphasis. Like, I, I don't even know how to really describe it. I think there was an episode of The Next Generation where Riker tried to serve as a host for the symbiont that was dying because the the host was dying and so when when the when the body died there was no place for the symbiont to go and if it didn't have a host then it could end up dying as well and those hundreds of years of history that's the thing is symbionts can live much longer than the host can like they can live hundreds upon hundreds of years which is why some people are speculating that we could end up seeing the dax symbiont at some point in this show oh wow like the Dax symbiont from Deep Space Nine that lived all those lives back then could potentially still be alive today. I don't really know what their life expectancy is. I feel like it's it's less likely, but it's possible. Because I'm pretty sure it was already like 300-something years old when we got to Deep Space Nine, which means you push forward another 900 years. I don't think a Trill symbiont can live over a millennium, but I, I can't say that for certain. So I guess there's some fans out there that are hoping it happens. But even if we don't, we've got the tall symbiont that we're dealing with here. And when we saw the the scene where all the other hosts showed up, there were like five or six other beings in the room with Adira. And all of them were Trill. So this is our first instance in Star Trek canon where a non-Trill has had a successful joining with a trill symbiont and it's it's groundbreaking it's it's basically history in the making as far as star trek is concerned and i'm really really curious to see how this kind of moves forward because according to what adira said in one of the previous episodes i think they're only like 16 years old or something like that and they're going to be having over six lifetimes of memories flooding through their head throughout the rest of the season. Wow. That's can crazy. can you imagine can you imagine trying to keep up with a half dozen previous lives memories while you're also making memories yourself as a teenager? Like yeah. that's got to be that's got to be completely overwhelming. And if you want to dive into that a little bit, look at season seven of Deep Space Nine, because there is a new Dax that shows up in season seven. And she is really, really confused because even though she's a Trill, she wasn't supposed to be a host. And so, like, she has trouble remembering whether she's the one that likes Klingon coffee or whether it's one of her previous lives that likes Klingon coffee. (laughs) And, like, one one of her previous lives... Uh, her host was like a gymnast or something and then she gets seasick when she leans sideways like there's all of these confusing elements it's like I think better when I'm on my head but there's also the potential that I'm going to throw up like (laughs) there's all of these different components about understanding who you are and who you used to be and they touch on that a little bit in this episode as Grey is playing the cello 
because according to Adira, Gray couldn't do that before the joining, but then was able to do it after the joining. And right. so there's there's a lot of examination into who you are versus who you were versus who you might become. And then the fact that Gray is kind of morphing into a more physical manifestation, kind of an out-of-body experience for Adira is also something that we really haven't seen much of. In order for something to the, like that to happen in Trill lore, you have to go through like a special ceremony, and you have to have people that are close to you willing to serve as temporary hosts so that you can have those out-of-body experiences and communicate with your previous selves. So, like, there's an episode of Deep Space Nine where Dax does that, and, like, all of her co-workers serve as temporary hosts for her previous lives so that she can have, like, those one-on-one -on -one conversations. But this is more like an hallucination, maybe? But I, I can't tell just how physical this manifestation is, but to... To have Adira being able to see and converse with Grey the way that we saw at the end of that episode, I think that's definitely something to look out for in future episodes, because I think when Adira ends up in a make-or-break moment, some crucial decision that has to be made, we're going to get a little pop-up of Grey whispering ideas and maybe they'll be good ideas maybe they won't that's still something that i think only time will tell yeah yeah that's that's interesting see i i, I don't i didn't know any of that about the trail yeah, sorry for the fog there no it, no just... this is no this is fascinating i love hearing you talk about this stuff i love hearing other people talk about this because that's how i learn because you know i don't know when i'm gonna get to all the star trek series i want to watch them all eventually but like you know <laughs> i i i just Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, man. I know, I know, and I will get there eventually. But you know, I knew there was some. I knew there was history there. I just didn't know there was that much history. But like the whole thing yeah. with her, you know, experiencing him and and he, him being there. The whole idea of like maybe them, like these two personalities that are in one body interacting, is very weird very interesting and it could be interesting to see like how they play it out because clearly all those characters are, are dead but like could they come back in some way and you know I don't know even the Admiral you know what they're trying to get information from him maybe we'll have scenes with him where he's quote unquote talking to her and, and giving her information mm -hmm. I'll see if I can find some of the Trill specific episodes of Deep Space Nine so that you can at least have some frame of reference for how some of this goes down because I think it's definitely worth watching um, in order to, to get an understanding of what to expect or what to anticipate or you know maybe we shouldn't anticipate anything maybe they're trying to come up with some unprecedented things in regards to trill life and, and trill history and culture because you know like I said nobody except for the Trill species has ever had a successful joining, and then here's Adira making history. So maybe we're going to get all new Trill experiences, unlike anything we've seen before, and yet somehow also eerily familiar. I think that was the interesting thing that, that I found from, uh, from this episode, because I believe there was an episode of DS9 
where they did have to go back to the Trill homeworld in order to like solve some sort of biological problem that Dax was having, and it involved going to these caves. Only at the uh, at the time, the caves were um, the sacred resting places of the Trill symbionts until a host was ready for them, and somehow those waters were able to sustain their life force until it was time for them to join with a host. And all you saw was these squid-like creatures swimming around in the pools without hosts. They were being sustained and suspended in these waters, in these caves, until it was time to join with one of their hosts. Yeah, that's interesting. So there's, there was some familiarity there by, by going back into the caves... And yet at the same time, it was also really unique because, as they mentioned in the show, because of the burn, there's a lot fewer symbionts and there's a lot fewer compatible hosts. And so their whole ethos, their whole culture has changed. And yet a lot of it still kind of remains the same. The caves, the reverence for the symbionts and that kind of thing, like there's there's still a lot of that but it's just it's taken on new faces because of the times and so you know i'm really curious to see how the klingons are 900 years in the future i'm cuz really yeah cause, yeah klingons are Ryan. a big deal and the vulcans you know there's other species out there that are also suffering the same effects of the burn and we get to take a look at all of them yeah we took a look at the trill in this episode but who's to say that we won't get to see what uh, Vulcans and Romulans look like in Unification 3. Who's to say that uh, Episode 6, titled Scavengers, isn't surrounding Klingons, and that's what they've become now. They've just become scavengers. You know, who knows? And and I think that unknown of the future and that unknown of what's to come is a big part of why I'm really excited for the remainder of Season 3. Yeah, it's it's just... And each episode brings about something that, you know, it's unprecedented in the way that you don't know where it's going. You don't know what's going on with this. And, like, from, like, the Klingon perspective, I just thought about it. Like, we're looking at it from the perspective of, like, we've seen the history the Klingons have been on. Like, they went from being at war to the Federation to making peace with them to a Klingon, you know, serving on, you know, the Enterprise. Like, you know, that's a whole right. thing that, that's come come a long way all that time in those 900 years, but also the burn happened, and what is their fate? Have they regressed? Are they, you know, still this big warrior race? You know, what's going on with them? And it's going to yep. be interesting for us to learn what happened to Klingons, but also for the crew of the Discovery to realize, oh, hey, the Klingons, we had a war with them, but not anymore because that's 900 years in the past and things have changed. So, yep. like, that's going to be fascinating. That's going to be really interesting to see how the... And just going back to Vulcan, I'm looking forward to seeing all these different planets and seeing how this... And also how discovery affects things because you're already... Trills have been affected. Oh. Earth's been affected. All these different societies yeah. are being directly affected and changed by discovery's presence. Well, and in the preview that I saw for episode five, Die Trying... Uh, it looks like because of the coordinates that Adira gave them at the end of this episode, they're now actually going to be able to find Starfleet headquarters. Right, and yeah. They're, so They're, they're going to find the remnants of Starfleet, and 
according to the little preview that we got at the end of this episode, it's a none too trusting Starfleet, and they're having trouble believing that Discovery is who they say they are, and so they're going to have to like prove themselves a little bit, and they're going to try and figure out just who Starfleet is and what they stand for at this point in time, and so there's there's a lot to learn about Earth, there's a lot to learn about Starfleet and the rest of the Quadrant, so I, I really think that it's a good thing for them to stay in the future for the time being, because they have a clean slate. Yeah. Anything that they look at is is a completely different perspective, completely new ideas, completely new stories, and they have so much flexibility and so much room to work with now that they're in this point in time that if they were to go back, they'd go back to the confines that they had of season one. Staying here 900 years in the future gives you so much opportunity to tell any story you want any way that you want. Yeah, and okay, here's here's a question. We'll 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 start. I guess we can start wrapping on this. Mm-hmm. I will I will put this question to you. Something I've been thinking about is okay, okay. So we started in the past. We started back, you know, with you know before the first series, and mm-hmm. now we've jumped to the future. We've done nine hundred years in the future. Do you think by the end of this show, I'm talking series finale? Or any time in between there, do you think will that the option to go back will be on the table? Do you think some? Do you think there could be a situation where Discovery is sent back in time, back to where it came from, or are they where they belong? I would like to believe that this is where they belong, but based on what the previous two seasons have shown, it seems like the season three finale or the season four premiere could end up taking them somewhere or some time other than where they currently are. Because season one was all about the Klingon conflict. That was basically the entire story arc, was the Klingon conflict and the mirror universe situation. Right, right, right. The entire second season revolved around the Red Angel. Everything that happened with Control, everything that happened with the different adventures that they went on, it all pointed back to the Red Angel. And at the end of the season, they had to get the Red Angel away from Control and take it to another point in time so that Control wouldn't be able to get its hands on it. So now that they have succeeded in that, and now that they are finding their way in this new century, maybe the crew hits a breaking point and wants to go back home. Maybe they embrace where they are and they stay put. I would like to believe that they adapt and they learn how to stay put, and they make an influence on this very downtrodden galaxy right now. Like like you said, every time uh, Discovery comes in contact with one of these places, it's making a difference. And I would like to think that Discovery has the potential to make a difference at this point in time. But the way things are going, it seems like every season is kind of its own story arc. And that story arc concludes when the season concludes. So if history does indeed repeat itself, then this will go until the end of the season. And then we go on to our next adventure for season four. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you. I think I think Discovery and all these characters were always meant to be 900 years in the future. That That was their destiny and they are where they need to be. And so. they they have 
a they have a responsibility now to you know call it you know this is if this was Star Wars, I would say, who's the will of the Force? No, it's not. Um, it's it's not Star Wars. But still, I think there is a certain amount of fate, of uh, destiny, of of the will of the universe to, like, they needed to be in the spot to make this. The galaxy needs them here and now in the future. They didn't need them back then. They need them now. And I like that idea of, like, them, you know, making the galaxy better so that it can get back to the way it was or even better than what it was. Um, right. And that's all going to happen because of discovery. That would definitely be, that, that would, that would be my hope. That would, that would definitely be what I would like to see. Doesn't mean that's what we're going to get. Like, right, I, right. I, I, I don't, I don't mean to sound like the, the pessimist of the group or anything like that, but just based on what we've seen the previous two seasons, you know, this adventure could see itself wrapping up by the season finale and we get something new for season four. I hope that that's not the case because there's a lot more about the burn that we need to learn. There's a lot more about book that we need to learn. There's a lot more about Earth. There's a lot more about the Federation, the Klingons, the Romulans, the Vulcans, as I've all said. There is so much to explore at this point in time that it would be a shame to do all of that in one season and just wrap it all up and move on. I would right. like to see them I would like to see them keep doing more and make this a bigger more ongoing story arc but it just depends on the ratings honestly like how engaged can you keep your viewers at this point in time before they get bored with it and want to go somewhere else so I I would like to see them stay put I'm hoping that they stay put but I'm also definitely not counting out the fact that we could be at a different point in time or in another galaxy or back in the mirror universe or something. Something could happen at the end of season three that puts you in a completely different scenario by season four. What's the mirror universe like 900 years in the future? What's going on over there? (laughs) I don't even... The mirror universe is so screwed up, dude. Like... It is so screwed up from the original series all the way through the Deep Space Nine mirror episodes. It is just insane. It's just ridiculous. Back in the back in the 80s and 90s, that was kind of like the the cast and crew's escapism, if you will. Like rather than telling the same redundant stories over and over, you get to dress up as a different version of your character and get to sound different, behave different, dress different, do something different than what that character usually does. And you get to kind of test your acting abilities and like stretch beyond yourself a little bit. But now there's like legitimate mirror universe stories going on, like what we got with season one. And so I think the mirror universe carries more weight to it. And considering the fact that we've got Giorgio from this mirror universe still, Who's to say that she won't want to open up a portal and check in on her empire and see how it's doing 900 years in the future? Yeah. By the way, I love Giorgio. I love just her whole demeanor in this. <laughs> she just she just doesn't give a bleep a lot of times. She lets them fight it out, and then as they're fighting and walking out, she's like, well, at least the wine was good. <laughs> 
I love in the the second episode, she's like facing off against those guys. She's about to kick their all their asses, and and he's like says something, and she's like, "A fancy vocabulary doesn't make you scary." <laughs> this is this this is the version of Giorgio that I'm a, that I'm a bigger fan of because like while she was a good Starfleet captain in season one, there's so much more energy and chaos and charisma to the mirror Giorgio. And right, so right. I, I like I like that they found a way to give Michelle Yeoh some more work. Like I love having her on the show and I really like having her playing this version of herself. I think I think it's the best of both universes, if you'll pardon the pun. Right. Right. I absolutely agree. And you know what? The only thing I think if we ever went back to the mirror universe, which I wouldn't rule it out I think it would be interesting if she went back and you got to see like her after she's kind of had her big character arc. She's, she's learned to be a better person. Um, she goes back to the universe and realizes, Oh crap. Like this was really bad. <laughs> what I was doing. Bad idea, you guys, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. But, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds of this series. I know we're in the future, literally. So, like, yeah. you know, every episode really has me intrigued going forward. And, you know, I feel like there's enough content in just, like, let's go to this planet and see what they're doing, <laughs> like, in 900 years in the future. That could be, like, 10 seasons worth right there. So, like, you know, they if they want to keep going with this, I'll keep watching. Well, I mean, the fact that I got quite a few laughs out of lower decks and i really enjoyed getting to see picard again in his own series in addition to this series feeling like it's finally like really really hitting its stride i'm probably gonna stay subscribed to cbs all access for a little while anyways i watched the first episode of lower decks the other day i enjoyed it okay okay well it's it's basically rick and morty in the star trek universe i i got that impression <laughs> and I think that's what I like about it is like, there's a lot of Star Trek references, but there's a lot of that zany out of this world type of stuff going on, very reminiscent of of Rick and Morty. So I was I was OK with it. But there were there were some moments that proved to be really, really touching. And there were some moments that proved to be really, really funny. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but that season finale was actually really good. So mm. um, I I liked it, and I'm looking forward to what they're going to do next, and I'm looking forward to what Discovery's going to do next. I think I think um, the future of Star Trek is actually pretty dang bright right now. I completely agree. I'm very excited. I'm going to get into Picard at one point because I've, I've kind of waited on Picard because I haven't watched Next Generation, but I feel like I'm familiar uh, enough with those characters that I don't have to know. Probably. And, you know, the, the places that they're at in in the Picard series, I feel like it's different enough that even if you didn't watch The Next Generation, you'd still get a grasp on what was going on. However, I will say a lot of subtle references and fan services are made based on iconic moments from The Next Generation series. I figured so, as much. So it's kind of it's kind of like Mandalorian in that regard, where if you just watched it as it is, you would still enjoy it for what it is. 
but it definitely helps to know about some of the stuff from the past to help enhance the cameos and Easter eggs and stuff that happens throughout. Okay. That makes, that's pretty much what I expected in regards to that. So, yeah, eventually I'll get around to Next Generation, I'll watch Picard, I'll get all the references. Eventually. Eventually. Man, now I'm torn because, like, it's totally worth it to watch TNG in order to know what's going on in Picard. But if you want to know what's going on with the trills, you really kind of have to watch Deep Space Nine. So, oh uh, boy, <laughs> like, uh, which one do I tell you to watch first? <laughs> Enterprise, dude. There's nothing wrong with Enterprise. There's actually an Enterprise reference in uh, the the season three premiere. Oh, really? It's very subtle, but it's there because they talk about how. Uh, book talks about how she's a time traveler and he says there hasn't been any time travel since the temporal wars oh, the, the, okay. the temporal wars are an underlying story arc that's going on in enterprise interesting i i don't i don't want to go any deeper into it but i have heard some of what you're talking about so that's interesting at, at, at one point uh the the captain from Enterprise, Captain Archer finds himself centuries ahead in the future as like a warning from the temporal agents saying, if you don't do this, this is what the future becomes, kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's pretty intense and also really scary and probably violates like seven temporal directives but okay you do you fam <laughs> yeah oh, there's boy. there's there's a very subtle enterprise tie-in in the in this in this season finale uh, season premiere not finale and then <laughs> uh the, the, in the kelvin movies um scotty mentions captain archer and he that he did he basically killed his beagle <laughs> yeah killed his prize beagle and actually in star trek beyond the the main villain is a veteran of the Zindi War. Oh. Idris Elba's character is a veteran of the Zindi War, and the Zindi War was a story arc that happened in season three of Enterprise. Wow. That's interesting. Didn't catch that one. Mm-hmm. I caught that one. That was one of the things that I loved about Beyond was it legitimized one of the biggest strifes, one of the biggest conflicts that happens in Enterprise. It was, <laughs> oh man, I felt so vindicated in watching that whole series. I was like, yes, watching all four seasons of this up and down show was totally worth it. It was worth for this it. One, for this one little reference in this movie that only 75% of people seem to like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, Star Trek. Gotta love it. All of it. Oh, man, I totally do. I, I I really, really do. And I don't mean to make it sound superior to Star Wars or anything like that, but I I just... We don't compare the two. We don't rank them here, all right? You don't have to pick one or the other. I'm not putting one over the other, but I will say this. One of the things that helped me become one of the founding fathers of the IPC was I was I was part of that very blinded group of Star Wars fanatics 
that made fun of Star Trek, even though I hadn't seen very much of it. Like, I was always making jokes about how even if the Stormtrooper missed the shot, the red shirt was going to die anyways because he's a freaking red shirt and he's stupid, blah, blah, blah. Like, I was I was always making some sort of Star Wars' superior reference. And then Netflix happened. And they put all of the Star Treks on Netflix. And my dad decided he wanted to go back and watch The Next Generation. And we really enjoyed it. And I was like, wow, this is actually a pretty good show for its time. And then we found Voyager. And we're like, yeah, let's watch Voyager. And then we saw Deep Space Nine. And we were like, I've never even heard of Deep Space Nine. This is more Star Trek? Let's give it a try. And then we fell in love with Deep Space Nine. It became one of my favorite shows of all time. And so, like... Yes, I love Mandalorian. Yes, there are certain Star Wars movies that I really, really love. But my gosh, if you're not watching Star Trek just because you're watching Star Wars, you are missing out on literally dozens of seasons of fantastic sci-fi and storytelling and acting and writing and character development. Why would you miss out on something like that just because it's got a different name from your favorite franchise. Yeah, yeah. Spread the love. Man cannot live by one franchise alone. Man, that's really inspirational and really heretical all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think I think it's time we, we kind of give the final word on this, give maybe our, our final thoughts and our plan scores for this. Okay. Yeah, I'm down. Do you want me to lead off, or did did you want to go first? If you have one in mind, by all means, because I probably need to think a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, overall, I really like the direction that this season is going, and I think I've mentioned that a couple of times. I, I like the fact that it's, it's very real and relatable and accessible. Uh, I like the fact that they've got a clean slate for their storytelling and character development. Um, I like how imperfect earth is and how imperfect these people are you know there, there's no expectation of perfection and they're by no means living up to that expectation anyways so um it's 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 a great sense of adventure it's a great sense of of relatability to to the human character while still projecting it centuries into the future which is what star trek is all about and so uh, I'm really enjoying it. I, I feel like the show is really starting to hit its stride, and it's being uh, consistently good week to week. Uh, Forget Me Not was definitely a little slower than things like Far From Home or People of Earth, but it was good to dive into the lore of the Trills and you know pieces of Star Trek history and do some character development for you know new people like Adira and Gray. So you know I, I didn't I didn't hate it. It's just I'm looking forward to when you have that existential crisis or, or you know, the, those big moments that make you feel like the ship is in danger and somebody's got to save the day kind of thing. I'm, I'm hoping for more of that the deeper into the season that we go. But overall, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying Discovery, and I'm especially enjoying Discovery Season 3. So that's why I'm going to give it a very solid 8.5 out of 10. Very, very fair, very solid. 
And I'm going to echo a lot of what you're saying there. Uh, like I said, I've I've really gotten into this show, really enjoyed it from the beginning. And, you know, it's it's a show that I think is doing what Star Trek does best. It's pushing it forward, doing a lot of interesting things, keeping you intrigued, and constantly reinventing itself. I think shows that really have annoyed me over the years, the shows that just keep kind of, they have one formula, and they, they do one thing, and that's basically what it is. It's basically turned into a sitcom. I love sitcoms, but I know what I'm getting with a sitcom. I watched Seinfeld. We talked about Seinfeld a few weeks ago on the show. I love that show, but it's the same over and over again. But the jokes are good, all right? So it's it's fine. With a drama, with a Star Trek, I want things to change. I want the story to develop. I want things to be moving forward. And this show is doing that. I think, you know, past couple seasons, you started with Lorca. You, know, you got that great dynamic, and the whole big reveal's there. And then Pike came in, and he was great. And you he left, and now we're in the future. And it's, this show is constantly evolving and changing. And now this new version of the show, I think, is the best it's been so far. And you know, these past four episodes have been really. I, I can't wait every week to watch a new episode, and that says something because you know I, yeah. I kind of I years ago back when you know I was never really in a big TV watcher. I never really had a show that, like I watched week to week to week. And then Agents of Shield came along. And then that's the show that I attached myself to. I'm, like, I'm going to watch this show. This is my show. And it just finished a few months ago. And so I've had this hole in my, you know, my TV watching thing where, you know, I don't have my show anymore. I don't have thing. Obviously, Mandalorian, there's a lot of all good stuff coming out right now. But, like, Discovery is kind of like, it's filling that gap along with some other shows that I've really been enjoying. And it's it's pushing the envelope in regards to, like, Showing me stuff that I and as a very casual Star Trek fan, I'm still very intrigued by the lore and all this cuff and and what it's dealing with in regards to the future and just showing stuff that you know it's it's pushing the boundaries of what we've seen in Star Trek before. So I've really enjoyed this. I cannot wait for the next episode. Um, I thought these four episodes were pretty strong. Um, I think the first two I think were really great and kind of set the stage for this. Um, and, you know, like I said, all four of them really strong. And overall, I'll probably, I will give it a nine. I will give this, a, I don't know if I'm rating like the entire series. I'm just going to rate these four episodes as a solid nine for my plan score. Because I, I've genuinely been really thrilled with this season so far. That's good stuff, man. That is really good stuff. Um, you know what? what's funny is um, we did all of this prep by like watching the episodes and making sure that we were up to speed and stuff and we even talked for like 20 minutes during the pre-show and not once during any of our conversations did we ever discuss what the quote of the night should be <laughs> well then well um is there anybody in the chat can 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 give us uh, some suggestions <laughs> i guess it'll just be a surprise maybe well, it will well, be then. We'll come up with something and we'll put it oh, in. I'm hearing my own voice. Oh God, don't do that. <laughs> and, and 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 it'll and it'll be a surprise for everybody. It'll be like, oh, hello, that's it. You know, if anything, I think the, I think I think Hugh's um, medical officer's log at the beginning of this episode would be a really good one. I like that one a lot. I like that one a lot. I'm I'm glad I'm glad we both ended up actually watching that episode because like mm -hmm. at some point I was like. 
I had had a rough week and also a rough day. I was like, I'm not even sure I'm going to get a chance to watch this episode. And you hadn't watched it, but we ended up both seeing it. And I was, I like that we mostly talked about that episode, and uh, it informs a lot. And I especially love that whole opening sequence of him, Hugh, just kind of talking and kind of setting the stage for you know what what we know as the kind of the whole moral of that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a good selection. If we're able to extract that and and put it in there, then I think that makes for a really good quote because it's 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 inspirational, it's thoughtful, it's thought provoking, it's introspective, but it's also like you said, setting the stage for the rest of the episode. So I think that's a good quote. So uh, I'll I'll shut up and I'll I'll leave a space for you to edit this in later. But uh, <laughs> ladies and gents, here is the quote of the night. Medical officer's log. Supplemental. Our trip to Earth was... eye-opening. A reality check. Such as reality is. It's starting to hit everyone. Just how little we have to hold on to. The personal moments we use to define ourselves. Birthdays. Anniversaries. Graduations. Funerals. We've jumped past all of them. They feel lost. Disconnected. I tell them, I've been alone. I've been lost. Both are survivable. And surviving can become living again. You know, if you ever needed to talk, I'm around. I'm fine. But first they have to accept help. For a crew of overachievers, that kind of vulnerability can be hard to hold. You know, I one thing I, I love about that clip is, I especially love his whole monologue is, and I think he mentions it like later on the episode, that he is, the guy literally died and came back. <laughs> like, yeah. he, he died yeah. and then he came back to life. Like, he's kind of had a little bit of experience in this whole kind of unprecedented, you know, weird thing with, you know, just odd experiences. So, like, I, I like that whole addition that he kind of like, I, I've kind of got some experience with this, so I can I can speak on this. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that's the other thing that makes this show so unique, too, is everybody's had these really unique and different life-changing experiences and yet they've all experienced time travel together you know stamets has gone into the mycelium network before um you know michael had the experience with the with the time traveling in the in the suit and hugh had the experience where he, he basically died and came back to life and you know um i think there's there's just a lot to be said for these really odd experiences that have happened to different people that helps shape who they are and who they become. And uh, several members of the crew have experienced that, and I feel like um, there are still others yet to experience things. Like we're gonna we're gonna get more out of uh, what what happened uh, to to Tilly. You know, with with some of the stuff that she went through, we're we're gonna get some more 
of Detmer's story as the season right. goes on. She's admitted that she's not okay. Like, there's going to be more to this crew than what they currently are. And I think that growth and, and that shared experiences is going to be really, really good for helping formulate that cohesion that maybe they're currently lacking. I think they'll definitely have their stuff together by the end of the season. Yeah, and there's also this whole overhanging thing of what's going on with Michael and the fact that she was stranded there for a year. We don't know what she experienced or what happened, but apparently there's some stuff that she's not proud of that went on, and maybe we'll get that story later in the season. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see like how you know, how all that works and how these characters play off each other and, you know, what happens because, you know, their whole, their different perspectives, I think we got, we saw some sparks fly in this past episode. They got through it, but probably won't be the last time we see them yelling at each other. Oh man, I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) All right. Well, if there's no more orders of business, then I guess we have just one more order of business to take care of. And that's everybody's favorite segment. So, folks, get out your hashtags if you're listening live on channel1138.com. Put them in the chat. If you're not, then put them on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and anything else that might carry a hashtag. Because it's time for another edition of Hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 All right, well, this may not be specifically barbecue related, but it's a, it's a type of food and it's something that I got to experience recently. And I, I guess I guess part of it has to do with the fact that our state fair was discontinued because of the coronavirus. And this is the first time since World War II that our state fair has not taken place. Wow. It's it's been a century since we've not had the State Fair of Texas. It is a huge deal. But there are still some places that are open, and there are still some workarounds that people are trying to have in order to make up for that missed experience. And uh, one of the things that they've got is these pop-up fried food stands that are happening all over the DFW area. Oh, I know where you're going with this. I went to Six Flags for Halloween which was about a week ago. And on my way out of the park, I spent the whole evening not eating, just in line for rides. And I only probably went on like five or six rides the whole evening because the lines were so freaking long. But as I was on my way out the door, getting ready to make the mile walk back to my car, I passed by a fried food stand and they still had some fried Oreos for sale. Yes! Yes! Now you know that I love fried chicken 
and I, I love any kind of fried nature that goes with barbecue, like French fries or fried okra or anything like that. But my gosh, fried dessert is on a whole other level. It is just, oh my gosh. It was battered the way funnel cake would be battered. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it had that chocolate cream filling that Oreos have. So you're taking a bite, and you got the powdered sugar on top of it and everything, and it is like, it's like funnel cake meets chocolate cake meets I don't know what, but it's glorious, and I want it in my mouth. I am so glad and so excited that you have finally found and 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 understood understand the brilliance and the delicacy that is fried oreos these okay. things i i discovered them a few years ago oh man they they had i was i was too nervous to try it and it was a little bit more expensive but they also had fried twinkies at this stand i've seen these i don't think i've tried one either but sounds very and see, I was very skeptical about the whole concept, like fried, really, like just you know, fried and stuff and putting in the thing. That's that's weird, stupid, whatever. And then I had the Oreo. I'm like, okay, I am on board with this. So I need to try the Twinkie at some point. I, I'm I'm curious about the Twinkie, but here's the thing: compared to the types of stuff that gets fried at the State Fair of Texas, fried Oreos is actually pretty vanilla. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to do uh, State Fair of Texas fried food, and I'm just going to do, like, a Google search. Um, here they go. They got the Big Tex Choice Awards for the fried food at the State Fair of Texas. Um, let me see. What have we got? Um, there is the Big Red Chicken Bread, which is... <laughs> Which is which is which is fried chicken where the the fryer is based with uh, big red soda. There is let me see what is this, the fried burnt end burrito. Oh, so it's a it's a burrito with burnt end brisket, that's deep fried. Oh my gosh. You ever had burnt end brisket? I'm assuming you have. I feel like I have. I'm it's, not sure uh, I knew it was that or that it was called that, but I'm sure I have. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a screenshot of this and and it's gonna have the the caption along with it. Uh this is one that is like one of the most creative selections I've ever heard of. And I really, really, really want to try it, but I also know that I will probably get a heart attack if I eat it. <laughs> it's called the Southern Fried Chicken Fettuccine Alfredo Ball. Oh my gosh. The description is as follows. A golden fried ball filled with fettuccine Alfredo, Southern Fried Chicken Bites, and fresh mozzarella cheese. The ball is garnished with house-made Alfredo sauce, grated Parmesan, Italian parsley, fresh basil, and cracked black pepper. 
served with a side of flash-fried lemon pepper asparagus spears and a toasted garlic parmesan baguette. It's basically Texas fried food meets Italian food in a giant fried ball of dough with Alfredo sauce on top of it. Damn. So, when it comes to fried food, Texas does not mess around, and fried Oreos are a very small thing in comparison to the grand scheme of what <laughs> Texans try to fry. I have heard, I've, I've never seen how it gets done, but somewhere in the state fair, somebody serves up deep-fried Coca-Cola. How does that work? I don't know. But people have told me before that I need to try the fried Coke. And I'm like, I don't do crack, but thanks. <laughs> nope. No, thank you. Like, if, if I if I want if I want drugs, I'm going to snort it, not eat it in a fried ball of dough. Thank you very much. I'm still trying to figure out fried Coke. I, I'm not sure I can even fathom fried Coke. I, I, okay, fine. I'll do a quick Google search and see if I can figure out just how fried Coke works. Because <laughs> I don't even know. But now we're both super either curious. The, either either the powder it. or the drink. The drug or the drink. Fried Coke. Texas State Fair. Yep, that's one of the first things that shows up. It is a frozen Coca-Cola flavored batter that is deep fried and then topped with Coca-Cola syrup, whipped cream, cinnamon sugar, and a cherry. Hmm. So it looks like, it looks like you take the dough and you like marinate it in Coke so that it tastes like Coke when you eat it. And then you deep fry it and top it with more Coke syrup. Wow which sounds very unhealthy, but I also want one. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, I see this now. Whoa. It, it, it almost looks like donut holes, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It, it kind of, like, the dough itself kind of resembles donut holes, but it's got, like, cinnamon sugar around it and that, that brown gulag that's at the bottom, whatever you want to call that. I don't even know what that is. Uh... The, the 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 standing syrup at the bottom must be like that coke drizzle that the description provides mm. but my gosh that is interesting oh it was introduced by Abel Gonzalez Jr at the 2006 State Fair of Texas so it's been around for 14 years <laughs> wow that's crazy that, that's that's amazing, and I want some. <laughs> I do too. I'm getting hungry. Of course, that's the, uh, the point of this whole segment is to get us hungry. Uh, to get us hungry and make us go eat something super late at night after yeah, we've and get us hungry for things that we can't eat. Oh man! But fried Oreos are amazing, and I'm so glad that I got some because I was basically just like I didn't even care how long of a walk it was back to my car because the whole time I was walking, I was sipping on my bottle of water. And I was munching on fried Oreos. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I did, I did go to Whataburger and get some actual food on my way home. I didn't have just fried food, but that was like the only thing I ordered 
the whole time I was there. I didn't get any souvenirs. I didn't get any food or drinks. I made it like six or seven hours in that theme park on just free cups of water. And then on my way out the door, I spent the seven bucks on the fried Oreos. And that was the only money I spent the whole time I was there. So <laughs> I was I was pretty proud of myself for that. Very good. Very impressive. A reminder to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IPC Podcast and follow our personal pages as well. Uh, our friend Jake, who has been a regular on the program, had to take a leave of absence because of life, but he is available on Twitter and Instagram at Jake Damon or Jake W. Damon or Jack's Patch on Instagram, depending on what uh, part of his life you wish to try and keep up with. The RIPC is on Phantom Empire, also on a bit of a hiatus because Phantom Empire is recording a movie right now. And so we wish them Damn. all the best as they work on their endeavors. It's a movie called Haddonfield The Vanished, and it's a fan film that is uh, intended to be a sequel to one of the Halloween films. So uh, good luck to Sean and the rest of the Phantom Empire team working on that special project. Uh, but hopefully we'll be able to bring back our 18-plus uh, expansion show in the not-too-distant future, probably in 2021. We'll see what happens. Um, but be sure to follow them anyways and keep an eye out for other awesome content they've got over there. Listen to previous episodes of our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, StarWarsUnderworld.com, and our primary hosting site, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. And if you're interested in purchasing some stuff for a special someone for the holiday season, we have IPC swag available at tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. And honestly, I've forgotten all the stuff that we've got because it's <laughs> been a while since I've bought anything. But I'm pretty sure we've got hoodies. We've got shirts, we've got stickers, we've got mugs. I'm just going to go ahead and look at it. We've got three different designs on there, and apparently everything's on sale right now. What is this? Whoa. Uh, oh, okay, it's only like for the next three hours. <laughs> so if, Oopsie. If you're, listening, if you're listening live, then go over to tpublic.com slash IPC uh, slash user slash IPC podcast. Uh, but we've got yeah, everything is on sale 33% off right now. So uh, T-shirts that are $20 are, us are usually $20 or $13 right now. So that's pretty cool. Um, but uh, we've got T-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, crewnecks, long sleeve baseball T-shirts, masks. What? Whoa. Wait, 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 wait. This is something that is new to me. Yeah, that's um, new to me too. You just said that. I'm like, What? What? Okay, so so there there is a masks tab option, but there it says there's no designs to display. I'm gonna log in and slap our logo on a face mask. Hell yeah! And people can buy IPC logo face masks. I need to keep this tab open so I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy crap! If you want to buy a COVID face mask with our logo on it you should be able to do that in the not too distant future so by the time you're listening to this in the future you should be able to go and buy one of those and definitely it do should that. be available tee public tpublic.com slash user 
slash IPC podcast. So go check that out. And awesome. uh, Ben, where can the folks at home check out your goings on when we're in between episodes? They can uh, find me at Ben Hart with no E personally. I, I don't post a whole lot unless I'm trying to piss people off hey, from you're a posting, politi- You're posting a lot of really funny gifts right now, and it's amazing. I'm, I'm being very vague. Look, I have a lot of people from a lot of different political perspectives, but I have my own political perspective that I keep close to the vest, and uh, so that was the only way I could express myself today. I'm just like, I'm just going to post gifts and just see if people figure out what I'm trying to say. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's fun. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, also my, my family's on Facebook, so, uh, I have to be careful what I say because I have to face them in a few weeks. All right? Uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, So, uh, boy. yeah, so I had to, had to tread lightly, tread lightly. But, uh, yeah, go, go watch me tread lightly or not so lightly sometimes on, uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Actually, I, I, I posted a selfie. I haven't posted a selfie in forever. I posted a little, uh, selfie when I was voting the other day, so go check that out. Instagram. And then uh, find me at the SWU, where we do the Star Wars World Podcast every week on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. We talk about all the latest Star Wars news and much, much more. And then uh, Culture Slate, where we're doing literally everything over there and doing a lot of crazy, cool stuff. And, yeah, at Culture Slate, at the SWU, and at Ben Hart with no E. Uh, there's another Culture Slate dude that is doing weekly Star Trek discussions. Star he Trek is. Culture, co-hosted by Steven Schinder, who... As of today is uh, the birthday boy. November the sixth yeah. is uh, is his birthday, and he's he's been a longtime contributor either as a co-host or as a listener or a top five aficionado. And so, uh, special shout out to him and uh, wish him all the best. He's he's twenty six, and he just published his twenty sixth episode of his own podcast called That's The Late Amazing. So, so, episode twenty six on the twenty sixth birthday. That's pretty cool. Steven, we wish you all the best. Many happy returns, man. And uh, thanks for everything that you do for this podcast, either uh, in front of the scenes or behind the scenes. Absolutely. Steven is quite the guy. He really is. And uh, I think it's time for these two guys to call it a night. I'm going to get to work on this Tee Public page so that you guys can buy some masks. And uh, then I'm going to go watch The Mandalorian. That's the rest of my Friday. Yeah, me too, because I haven't seen the new episode yet. Oh, and we call ourselves nerds. Oh, well. Look, this was my Uh, Star Trek day today. I had to turn Star Wars off so I could focus on Star Trek, all right? Oh, man. I have a a one-track mind. What a a one-track mind. (laughs) (laughs) I walked right into it. (laughs) and with that pun it's time to put the intergalactic pun coalition podcast to bed episode 308 is officially in the books thank you all for tuning in for ben hart i'm zach garnell we hope to see you next week but until that time comes around we're just going to leave you with this final thought ignore your instincts at your peril And we hope that your instincts lead you right back to another episode of IPC. Until then, good night, everyone.